A grace-filled good morning to all. A grace-filled good morning to all. We'd like to take this time to welcome each and every one of you, those of you who are here in the church with us, as well as those of you who choose to fellowship with us via our, via our social media. Today's uh, scripture reading is coming to us from Mark chapter 14, verses 26 to 31. Again, that's Mark chapter 14, verses 26 to 31. And it reads, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. This is the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord is blessed, and we're all blessed to hear it. Welcome to everyone that is here today as we continue through the book of Mark. I think I was trying to do the number. I think we're 78, 78 weeks, either 78 or 79. I was off for a couple of weeks, so that kind of uh, threw, me, threw me off of the count just a little bit. Uh, but here we are. Uh, we are quickly closing in on the cross. We are quickly closing in on the resurrection. We are in the final words of Jesus to his disciples. Those men who have been following him or have been called by him and have been following him for three or so years. This is a particularly difficult passage, not in what it says, but what it means. What it's telling us about the hearts of men and the way they are. Well, what it's telling us about the men who have been following Jesus and have been taught at his feet for three years and what is going to happen to them. We remember that we the Passover meal has finished. They have, the new covenant has been inaugurated. They have had the bread and the wine. They have heard the words that one of their own will betray them, betray Jesus, betray the walk of Christ. Those words, as John addressed 
had to be difficult to hear. How could it possibly be that one would betray us? How could it possibly be that one that has seen the miracles, that has heard the teaching, that has walked day in and day out, night after night, day after day with Jesus, how could one of those among us betray us? But the interesting part about that is, is which we will kind of get into in this passage, is that means that there are those that are among them that know or believe that they will not betray Jesus. There are those that are there of those 12 disciples that believe that or will be thinking, well, at least it's not me. I'm better than that. I'm not like that person that will betray Jesus. Today, after the celebration of the Passover is done, and we can't forget that, there is a celebratory attitude that is here, this celebration of this Passover, even though Jesus has warned them repeatedly about what will happen, there is still, we see, a celebratory attitude amongst the apostles that are there. It tells us that they are leaving in this first verse of the passages that William read in verse 26, that they are that after they sang a hymn, so they would be singing probably from Psalm 113 through 118. The Hallel Psalms, uh, the Psalms that are, are, are the, the memory of what has occurred uh, through God bringing them out to bring the Israelites out of the slavery and bondage to the Egyptians. But there is a celebratory attitude. We're going to get into that psalm in a second here. But there's a celebratory attitude behind what's happening here. They are juxtaposed between what is going to happen at the cross and the scourging of Jesus in this meal that they have had, in this time that they have spent together. One can almost say that there is a joyful attitude amongst these men as they leave this Passover meal. Today, the intention is that we would see the lies and mistruths that are sown by pride in the life of those who follow Jesus. Again, the lies and mistruths that are sown by pride in the life of those who follow Jesus. You see, pride is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And we will hopefully be able to touch on that in a in-depth manner, a matter today, or manner today. So here they are. Verse 26, after singing a hymn, it says. 118, at the, 118 is more than likely, Psalm 118 is what is being referred to in this passage. And if we turn to Psalm 118, we'll take a look at it briefly. It's a fairly long psalm. Right? Thanksgiving of the Lord's saving. And it says in verse 1, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. We could not, we could say anything that He does. That regardless of the situation you are in as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, regardless of how horrible that situation may be at the moment for you, it is the best thing for you at that moment. For God is good, and His loving kindness is everlasting. 
It says in verse 2, Oh, let Israel say, His loving kindness is everlasting. It never ends. That Hebrew term has said, right? His loving kindness never ends. This is the psalm that they would be singing as they left. Jesus has given them the bread and the wine. He has inaugurated the new covenant. He has told them that there is one amongst them who will betray them. Nonetheless, God's loving kindness is everlasting. It never ends. It never ends for those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in Him. It was not my intention. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but I mean, just look at these words. Look at the reminders in verse 3. Oh, let the house of Aaron say, His loving kindness is everlasting. Verse 4. Oh, let those who fear the Lord say, His loving kindness is everlasting. If you don't remember that this talk, that this sermon that is today is about God's pride, about man's pride, and how it is dangerous to us, just remember that the Lord's loving kindness is everlasting. If we look at verse 22, we find these words. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Isn't it fascinating that we have a prophetic psalm that is being sung as they end the Passover meal? That that stone that is rejected is Jesus Himself. That that from Acts chapter 4, verse 11, we, we, we find these words. Acts chapter 4, verse 11. Drawing right upon this psalm, it says, Peter says in verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. He, that is Jesus, is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. Verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is none, no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Hear this, only through Jesus is salvation available. There is no other way. There are no other religions. There is no other possible way to be saved before a righteous and a holy God. You can't work your way into it. You can't buy your way into it. You can't follow false gods into it. You can't follow people into it. It is only through Jesus Christ Himself. And this is the, this is the psalm that they are singing. This is the one that they are saying as they leave this Passover meal. After the new covenant has been inaugurated. Now remember, there are many steps into this new covenant being ratified, of which Jesus Himself will do that work. He is prophet, priest, and king. He is priest and sacrifice. Singing that hymn as they leave. This Jesus, remember there is this idea that there is a celebratory tone 
after this Passover meal, and we can all think about this, don't we all look for distractions in our own life? Perhaps not a great example, but bars are full of people looking for distractions. Bars are full of people that have something that is going horribly wrong in their life, and they go there to be distracted from what they have to deal with tomorrow. Perhaps we work with people that push things off and push things off and push things off because they don't want to have to deal with these things that they have to do. How quickly we seem to see the disciples, the apostles, that Jesus has told them what will happen. We have had the, we've had the Olivet Discourse, right, that has told us about the end times, about what is going to happen to them. We have the, the, he's told them that one of their own is going to betray them. He has told them that he must suffer and die. Yet they seem to get distracted by other things. They seem to not be focused on these things, or they seem to be saying, that's something in the future that will happen. As John Weathersby preached a number of weeks ago, when he tells them about the fall of Jerusalem, after 20 years and it doesn't happen, well, is it really going to happen? It certainly does, and over a million Jews are killed when it does happen. But here we have these, just that, you can just see how we're just going to get caught up in the moment. We're going to just, we're just going to revel in the celebration. Uh, it, the, the fellowship has been good. The, even though Jesus has said these things, you know, but right now, look, we just sang this great hymn about God's loving kindness is everlasting. And now we're going to take a little walk, a little half mile walk out to the Mount of Olives where we just had the teaching. We're going to wander down the road in this cool night. There's probably a nice breeze. They're all walking together. Jesus is going to go to Gethsemane, which is at the base of the Mount of Olives. Gethsemane, which is the place of the press, the olive press. Jesus is going there for a specific reason. He's going to pray for them. And he's going to pray for all believers there. Jesus is going there to be pressed to the degree that he will sweat blood. But at this point in time, they certainly don't see that. In fact, they're going to fall asleep as Jesus goes off to pray in this manner. They're just walking along. You can see just a bunch of men. Uh, any of us, any of us, a, a myriad of times has experienced this in many different ways with a group of friends. You're caught up in the moment. You're not thinking about what lays ahead of you. You are looking for distractions in your life to keep from dealing with this thing that's out there. Even though Jesus said this, you know, it's, look, it's, how could this possibly happen when we're when we're doing this all together? When we've just had this, we've just celebrated the Passover. We've just seen Jesus overturn the tables and they did nothing about it. Didn't you see Jesus when he came into Jerusalem and they threw the palms down and their coats and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna? Did you see all these things? These things that Jesus is talking about, oh, they, you know how Jesus is. You know, he tells these parables and these things. You know, we don't need to necessarily deal with this right now. I mean, come on, we're all having a great time here. As they're walking out, the final walk that they're going to have together, 
they won't leave this place as a group. They will run from this place. A moment of celebration will turn into a moment of terror. There is the sense of a wave looming over them that they don't see. That they could look up in the distance, they can't see the top of the wave, so it must not exist. But it's coming. And they don't see it. That's because they're kind of into themselves. I mean, look, we were associated with Jesus. We were standing there when he overturned the tables. They couldn't do anything about it. We're with this guy. Right? We're one of his. Peter even testified that he's the Messiah. He's our friend. We hang out with him and we eat with him and we do things with him. He's our guy. There's a certain pride that goes in with that. A certain hubris would be the term that goes in with that. Jesus doesn't let them stay. You know, the funny thing is, is Jesus is consistently warning people about what is going to happen. And people are consistently forgetting what Jesus has warned them about. I mean, heck, we even have the book. And it tells us what's going to happen. And then when these things start happening, when society starts going downward in a downward spiral, oh, how can this happen? I'm wringing my hands. How can this possibly happen? I'm pretty sure the book tells us this is going to happen. And we wonder why, you know, that, number one, why do we have the anxiety over it when it's already told what's going to happen, right? But nonetheless, I digress. We go into this hard teaching of Jesus as he starts it, Mark chapter 14 there. So they went out, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus hasn't departed from them yet to go and pray. Jesus is still with them at the moment. And he says in verse 27, this is a reference to Zechariah chapter 13. He says this, he says, And Jesus said to them, said to them, You will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. Now, Zechariah 13 is a pretty interesting passage. It's pretty interesting that Jesus himself is using this passage to speak in this manner. When, or if we turn to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1, it says this. In that day, and sorry, I did get ahead of myself a little bit there. A lot of times when we find in Scripture that we're referring to a part of, of the passage, it's the idea that we're referring to the entirety of the passage the entirety of the Scripture that is contained therein, both before and after that. So when we look at Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1, it says, In that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and impurity. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, they will no longer be remembered, and I will also remove the prophets and the unclean spirit." from the land. And if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who gave birth to him will say to him, you shall not live, for you have spoken falsely in the name of the Lord and his father and mother who gave birth to him will pierce him through when he prophesies. prophesies. Also, it will come about in that day that the prophets will each be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies, and they will not put up put on a hairy robe in order to deceive. 
But he will say, I am not a prophet. I am a tiller of the ground, for a man sold me as a slave into my birth. And one will say to him, what are these wounds between your arms? Then he will say, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Before we get to this next passage, this is a prophecy of cleansing of Israel. I want you to focus on that first, that first sentence of 13.1. In that day, a fountain will be opened. Oh, there is going to be a fountain opened in just a few hours. A fountain of the cleansing blood of Christ that will cleanse all those who believe and follow Him. Jesus is referring to this passage when He speaks out of verse 7 of Zechariah 13. He says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered and I will turn my hand against the little ones. It will come about in, the land, in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire. I will bring that third part through the fire. Not they will come through the fire themselves. I will bring them through the fire. I, it says there, will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold, excuse me, is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. Jesus is telling them this. This is what is going to happen. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. I heard Brother Jim give a brilliant teaching on the first, in fact, the first time I met Brother Jim was a teaching about shepherds and sheep. And it was phenomenal. And it has stuck with me to this day. And it caused me to buy more books. Luckily, my wife doesn't see them all because I buy them electronically. So she can't accuse me of buying more books that I don't need. But when we have this idea of the shepherd, don't we see that Jesus is shepherding them? They aren't shepherding themselves, but their pride is saying that I can stay here. I can stay in this place under my own accord. But Jesus is their shepherd. The shepherd's job is to guide the sheep to food, to water, to shelter, to protect them, to keep them in the fold, to hear his voice, to know who the shepherd is. He is the one that is guiding them. They aren't guiding Him. It is under, it's not under their own accord that they are staying with Him. But they are staying with Him because they know that is where the protection is at. That's why the sheep stay there. If I stay in this fold, if I stay with these sheep, under this shepherd, I will be protected. Isn't that what David says? Before he goes up against Goliath? He said, I was a shepherd over my father's flock. And when the bear or the lion snatched one of the sheep, I grabbed them by the beard and struck them and took that sheep back. Isn't that the kind of shepherd we want? That's the kind of shepherd they have. Unfortunately, their lot for this period of time is just a little bit different. This shepherd who guides us, the God who's Loving kindness is everlasting. They probably are having a hard time comprehending what Jesus has, has, has spoken of. He has referred to himself as the Good Shepherd. And he's just told them when it's struck, when the Good Shepherd is struck, when the good, we, we want to read this, this isn't struck 
and blunted and knocked out. This is killed is the idea here. When the shepherd is killed, the sheep have no one to guide them. The sheep have no one to take them to good pastures. The sheep have no one to leave them behind still waters. The sheep have no one with a staff to protect them. They are shepherdless. Now take a little aside here and we'll talk and say, I cannot imagine what the disciples or the apostles felt when Jesus was killed. None of us here can imagine what that was like. We can't imagine that the loss that they, the shocking loss that occurred there, because remember, for three days, they've got nothing. Everything that their lives have been poured into is gone. Rudderless. Shepherdless. And Jesus is telling them this is what's going to happen. But then those glorious conjunctions that are in the Scripture, those conjunctions that provide us with the hope, the assured hope that we have. It says in verse 28, but, man, I tell you what, when you see, when, when you see the conjunctions in the Scripture, pause. Because something's coming after that's really important. Something's coming after that conjunction that we should pay attention to. He has just told them, the shepherd, I myself, will be struck, and you, as the sheep, will be scattered. And then he says in verse 28, but after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. I will go back to the place. After I have been raised, there's probably some sense of, man, I I don't want to say disbelief. I mean, because they have seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. But after I've been raised, after I've been killed, and after I've been raised, I'm going back to Galilee where the ministry began, where we remember from Mark chapter 1 where it says that Jesus' ministry began with repent and believe in the good news. I'm going back to the start of the ministry. And as Brother Jim said today, this is where the marching orders, where marching orders will start to be given. Now that you will know the risen Savior, you will know that it is about disciple-making. To go and tell the world. To make disciples. But they're not there yet. But after I have been raised, after the, you have been scattered, after you are like a sheep without the shepherd, we can almost imagine that picture after... Maybe some of us have experienced this in this room as a little child, uh, losing mom or dad in a department store. All of a sudden, they're not there. More than likely, all of a sudden, it's you, you aren't there. You got wandering around. You were hiding amongst the racks, playing hide-and-go-seek, and then all of a sudden, there's mom isn't there, dad isn't there. That moment of terror because you don't know what to do without your parent. You don't know how to act or where to go or what to do. You're just standing there waiting and hopefully, and remember that as a child, when all of a sudden you see mom or dad, it's like the greatest thing in the world. Of course, then there's the terror of being in trouble (laughs) that comes after. We're not going to deal with that. But, you know, all of a sudden you see mom and dad, it's like, whew, man, I was lost, but now I am found, right? 
They're going to be lost for a period of time. They're going to feel it like we can't even imagine. That wave is looming over them and they don't see it. Luckily, even at this point, even though they're relying upon themselves, that Jesus still has them in his hand. They can't jump out. They don't know it yet. But pride will keep them from understanding the truth of the true situation they're in. It's a particular problem with men of feeling that we can work ourselves through situations, that we can handle it, that we can do it on our own, that, you know, it's a sign of weakness if I ask for help, it's a sign of weakness if I ask somebody to pray for me, you know, you know I can go on and on and on about that. But we see it here with these men. But Jesus has told them, I'm going to be struck, and you guys, you think you're strong, you guys are out of here. They don't believe it. In verse 29... After he finishes saying, I will go ahead of you to Galilee, and then Peter. We love Peter. Don't forget this. This is, these are Peter's words in Mark. These are Peter's words recorded in Mark. We can't forget that Peter is writing about himself here. Peter is speaking about himself here. And Peter says, to him, even though all these may fall away, yet I will not. You know, they're not as close to you, Jesus, as I am. They haven't seen the Mount of Transfiguration like I have seen. You do remember when I stepped out of the boat onto the water, even though I sank a bit. But I did. I was the only one who stepped out. You see, I'm closer to Jesus. I know more about Jesus. He confides in me. He teaches me directly. Oh, even these, these other jokers that I'm with. I mean, I love them, but, but, but those, those guys, even though they're, they may fall away, not me, Jesus. You can't quite possibly be talking about me. You've seen how strong I am. You've seen how I have jumped up and answered the questions that you've asked. We're going to forget that I might have been wrong a few of those times. You do remember, Jesus, how I testified that you were the Messiah. And Peter knows he's not the one that's going to betray him, but he will betray him in a different fashion. Peter is apparently quickly forgotten, uh, Luke 22, verse 31. Where Jesus says these words, 31 and 32, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Here we got a, a phenomenal conjunction right here. But, now, notice, it says, I prayed for you. It doesn't say, but I've told him he couldn't. It doesn't say, but I told Satan, no way, no how. But I've told Satan, wait till a different time. 
But I've told Satan, you will never touch one of mine. That's not what it says. It says, but I have prayed for you. The sifting is coming for Peter, and it's, it's looming over him right now, but he is stuck in his, how could it possibly be? I have walked and sat with Jesus. I have handed out the loaves and the fishes. I have seen the miracles. I have watched the hand be restored. I have seen demons cast out. And in fact, I've cast demons out myself. These other jokers, they're not like me. They're not strong like I am. I'll be there for you, Jesus. Uh, you're not going to lose me. You must be talking about others. Oh, but Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. He has asked to throw you up into the wind and see what is truly inside of you. Is it just husk or is the kernel there? Is it just the shadow of belief or, or does Jesus truly hold him? I prayed for you, Peter. And you know what? It's going to be difficult. You're going to be tested. You're going to go through the fire. You're going to go through the testing. But when I restore you, you, you will be the one to strengthen the brothers. Oh, how does it take Peter in the future? How does it take Peter from a prideful man inside of himself to a humble follower of Jesus to teach the others? what that humility looks like. What a teaching that we have here that is there. But Peter is full of pride, the strong one. The Mount of Transfiguration, the walking on water, the sending out with the two, two by two to heal, seeing the, seeing, seeing the, the healings that Jesus does, seeing the tables overturned, seeing the triumphal entry. We're part of this crowd. Do you know what it feels like to be associated with some people that are, you know, that are that are in a different station above you in life? Pride keeps Peter believing in his strength rather than relying on Jesus. Pride keeps Peter believing in his strength rather than relying on Jesus. I will not fall away. You can almost picture the look on Jesus' face on verse 30 when he says to him. We can almost picture the eyes looking at Jesus. Eyes of compassion because remember that God's loving kindness is everlasting. Jesus has prayed for Peter, and I want to say this in case I'm accidentally, you know, pastors have died in the pulpit before, and I want to say this, that remember right now, Christ himself is seated on the throne next to God the Father, and he is interceding for all believers as we speak. That hard time you are going through, Jesus will not lose you. He is praying for you as we speak. Remember that. Your pridefulness cannot prevent Jesus from praying for you and interceding for you. 
Jesus will break you of that pride. I can testify to it. Peter, you can just imagine the, the way that Jesus looks at Peter. Because he knows a man's heart. You can imagine the compassion upon which the, the, the Jesus looks at Peter. It says, Peter has just said, certainly I will not. And Jesus says these words, I don't know how hard it was to hear. Remember, this is Peter, uh, Peter inspired by the Holy Spirit, recalling this and Mark writing it down, right? It says this, and Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night, this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. I'm going to take my order out a little bit, and I'm going to finish up in verse 31, then we're going to go back to look at this. And in 31, but Peter kept saying insistently, vehemently, disagreeing with what Jesus was saying, kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will not deny you. And they were all saying the same things. Hey, we're not going to be caught up in this. Yeah, we're not, we're not going to deny you. We're not, going to be, we're not going to be the people denying you. Jesus, you have to be wrong. You have to be out of your mind, Jesus. You know, we've been with you. Again, we've handed out the loaves and the fishes. We've seen the miracles. We have seen you calm the sea. And we even said, what type of man is this? We agree with Peter. It's not going to be us. It's got to be somebody else. Maybe they're hiding behind a tree, but it's not us. It's going to fall away. Jesus has said that to Peter himself that before a, before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. It puts the time frame probably about 3 a.m. is when by, by 3 a.m. this is when this is going to happen. That's how quickly this is going to transpire. Peter is not going to have days and weeks and months to consider the fact that he may deny Jesus. It is going to happen at breakneck speed. A whirlwind is coming to wash the, to, to pull these people away, to pull these apostles away. A whirlwind, a wave is getting ready to crash over them and to scatter them to the winds. They are in self-denial about their true state of the true weakness that they have. Peter doesn't remember that Satan has asked to sift him like wheat. He can't picture the fact that he would deny the Christ. The thing that is coming... The thing that is coming that is going, that as Jesus is getting closer and closer and closer to the cross, will be overwhelming to them. The pressure that is coming, they will not be able to stand on their own. They will be taught a valuable lesson in this to only rely on Jesus himself, which we see that they do as they, after Jesus is raised again, and goes to Galilee, and they see him. 
And then they are given the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and they go forth in or the foundation of the church. Boy, they're not ready for it right now. They're still in their own ways, under their own strength, under their own power doing things. These final lessons that they are going to learn, these lessons on pride, are invaluable and exceedingly painful. They are not lost in Jesus. Jesus still has them. We'll have them through all of this. Except for the son of perdition, which is Judas. I'll jump here. When we think about this, just imagine this scene with what they see. We won't deny you, Jesus. None of us will. Peter won't. We won't. Nobody's going to deny you. And when the soldiers come, perhaps we haven't considered this, when the soldiers come in the garden to arrest Jesus, there are between 500 and 1,000 soldiers. 500 and 1,000 have come, between 500 and 1,000 have come to arrest Jesus. Look at these words in John chapter 18. And I tell you this for this reason. Because we have this little band of men that is walking out in the evening air for a nice little walk to go out. And Jesus is talking to them. And Jesus is going to go to pray. It's a beautiful evening. I'm sure it's not raining. I'm sure there's a nice breeze that might be coming off, uh, off the, uh, coming through the area right there. They just had a nice meal together as a group, as a band of brothers. Nothing in their viewpoint envisions a thousand soldiers coming to arrest Jesus. Nothing in what they know can actually process the fact that one of them would, would, would betray Jesus for a mere 30 coins. And look at what it says. And remember, they are all going to be scattered and Peter is going to deny Jesus on that night. Look at John chapter 18, verse 3, when it says this. Judas, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Verse 4, Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Who do you seek? These men are there, and now there are a thousand soldiers around them with lanterns and weapons. They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. Remember, because they don't know exactly what he looks like. That's why they need Judas to betray him, so they know exactly which one of these people it is. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. Key verse here, verse 6. So he said to them, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. A thousand soldiers hit their knees when Jesus says who he is. Think about that for a second. Process that information if you can. And these men who are going to scatter and deny Jesus are seeing all this happen. They are being swept away in a wave that they can't understand and Jesus is telling them it's going to happen. But I am going to be raised again regardless of what your prideful thoughts think about how strong you are. I will be raised again. I'm going to Galilee. I'm going to restore. I am going to restore Peter. 
we can't picture how the screws are going to be turned on these guys. For three years, they have been under Jesus' protection, under holy protection. And it's going to be gone, being washed away as they speak right now. They deny that they, the whole band of them say, we will certainly not be like this. That is ridiculous. That is crazy, Jesus. You have to be wrong. You have to be wrong. Pride is keeping them from seeing and understanding their fallen nature. Pride is keeping them from seeing how the heart will guide them poorly. We must always remember that this is Peter's recalling of the events of this day. And he is recalling those events in the future after they have occurred, knowing Jesus truly, not only just testifying you as the Messiah, but knowing Him as Lord, as God. Knowing Him from the place of the way things truly are. And notice how Peter certainly does not paint himself in a good light. This is a teaching from the humility of Peter, Peter, from knowing how prideful he was and how pride cometh before the fall. He shows us the truth in this situation, complete with his sincere desire to be the one who doesn't deny Christ. We can maybe relate to that now, because I can guarantee you there's people sitting in this room right now that will be tempted to deny Jesus in the days and weeks and months and years that are coming. One need only look at, it doesn't take much to search in the news how this situation has changed with regard to Christianity. There's people that have gone to jail for opening their churches. There's a person in Norway, I think it was, who was just arrested uh, for uh, preaching against homosexuality. That it is in the scripture. You know, homosexuality is a sin. It's clear. And so somebody who says that, that, well, I was born this way, Jesus says, you must be born again. But they're facing six years in jail for, for just posting out a picture. I believe that's how I want a picture of Romans chapter 1. You know, starting about verse 26, they're facing six years in prison for that. In Norway, which is considered, you know, a first world nation. So don't hear these words about pride. Don't be prideful and say that I couldn't deny Jesus. These men did. Peter not only denied him three times, but also cursed himself saying that he wasn't lying when they accused him of being one of those. He said he brought a curse upon himself. I have not seen the miracles of Jesus other than the fact that I've seen sinners saved. I have never seen a sea calmed. I've never seen a, a hand, withered hand, remade. I've never seen anybody walk in the water, but I know Jesus is true. I know Jesus is Lord. I know He's God. And these men stood and walked with Him and, taught, and were taught by Him and they denied him when the pressure became too great. 
Because they were relying upon themselves at this point in time. When the Spirit came upon them, they relied upon Jesus. All of them to the point of death. I mean, Thomas himself had even said, in John chapter 11, he had even said, they, they said, we, we can't go into Judea because they're seeking to kill Jesus. And he says in verse 16, let us go that we may die with Him. Ah, the pride and the hubris that goes in without knowing what it truly meant. You see, sometimes in this world, what happens with our pride is, I don't know what heaven's like. I have no idea. I know to a large degree it's indescribable. I know what this world is like. I know what it's like, you know, on a hot day to have a cold drink and how great that feels. The danger is, is that we know this, and when we're faced with not having this anymore, we can hold on to this a lot stronger than we should be, not realizing that we have an eternity in front of us. Remember, never dying souls going to a never-ending eternity. We have a choice. The choices are two places. One is hell, for all those who don't believe in Jesus are found in Him, abiding in Him, and the other one is to be found in Jesus and to be in, be with Him in the heavenly realms, then the new heaven and the new earth, right? Those are the two choices. There's no option. There is no purgatory option. There's no partway option. There's no fence-sitting option. These are two places. We hold on to this, pridefully wise, we hold on to this because this is what we know. I know my house, I know my car, I know where I go on vacation, I know where I work at. We think this is the most important thing because that's where the devil works. Remember, we are, at the moment we believe, we are in enemy territory. We are never out of enemy territory on this earth. Oh, and that pride works into us. It so works into us. These men made bold proclamations about how they would stand, that they were standing on solid ground, but they were only standing under their own accord. They were warned what would befall them. They were warned what would happen. But they boldly proclaimed to their rabbi, Jesus, that he was wrong. That he couldn't be talking about them. That they were much too strong. They were much too wise. And they had it all together. But fall they did, and none further than Peter. Blinded by pride, blinded, blinded by their self-confidence, perhaps even beating their chest to show how strong they were. Not me, Jesus. I stand with you. You see, I've been walking with you for three years. Pride makes us believe in things that aren't necessarily true. Pride makes us believe that we're better than we are. Pride makes us think that we're good when we're not. There is no one good except God alone. No one can do any good works except through Jesus Himself. That warning is there for us. Pride makes us believe in things that aren't necessarily true about ourselves, about how good we are, and about our current standing. Maybe we are taking our walk with Christ for granted. Maybe we feel we are a good person. Maybe we are, aren't necessarily working out putting sin to death in our lives. Maybe we're toying around with our pet sins, saying, I can handle it. 
Maybe we think we are stronger than we are. Maybe we think that this little sin that I do isn't as bad that it really is. You know, I haven't killed a guy, right? We don't realize that every sin that we do is an affront against a righteous and a holy God. Listen to this reminder in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth. Remember, he is speaking to believers in Corinth. Believers that are pretty, have done some pretty horrible things. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank in the same, the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as an example for us so that they would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed that he does not fall. Boy, work on your following of Jesus. Work on it. It is not a passive belief. You are saved and you are called to work on it. You are called to grow in your knowledge of Jesus. You are called to make disciples. You are called to, to, to find yourself in Scripture. You are called to this at all times. So maybe we pride makes us believe in ourselves and our strength. That we can do it on our own. That we don't need the Lord's help. That we don't need to pray in this situation. That we don't need to be, read the Bible at this point in time. That we don't need to go to church and worship a righteous and holy God. Maybe we should hear these passages as a warning for us too. That we are not too overconfident in our walk. But that we should be always working on our walk with Jesus every day. That sober reminder in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And who would know but Peter himself? How easy it is to fall when one thinks they stand. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8-11. through 11 says this, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is his home territory, the entirety of the earth. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him the dominion, to Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
Don't play with your sin. Don't play with your faith. You need to take it seriously. Pride can keep us from seeking, from seeing and knowing the truth about our fallen condition and our need of Jesus as our Savior. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse, verse 12 and then 13, says, work out your faith with fear and trembling. Know that it is, a, it is a righteous and a holy God that you worship. Do not take it serious. Do not take it flippantly. Work out your faith with fear and trembling. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is it. There is no second chance when you hit the dirt. There is no do-overs, there's no karma, there's no second, second life, there, there, there is no rebirth, rebirth or excuse me, reincarnation that you have. This is it, guys. This is all you got. You know who the Savior is. You know who to follow. You know what it was done on the cross. You know the wonderful flow of blood that came from that cross that washes you free of your sin and the chains that bind you to this earth. Take it seriously. It's not play acting. And do so in a humble manner, not standing on your own, but as those who are poor of spirit. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are those who are poor of spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who depend on the Lord for everything, for they get it. They're not standing on their own. They're standing in Jesus Himself. We must keep our eyes off of ourselves and keep them focused on Jesus, as Paul says, to know nothing but Jesus Himself crucified. Remember, pride can keep us from seeing and knowing the truth about our fallen condition. And pride can keep us from knowing our need of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Let us all pray. <clears throat> God, thank you so much for the cross. Thank you for so much for your son, the only way. Thank you for Jesus sitting at your right hand, interceding for us right now. Thank you for crushing the pride that we have in depending on Jesus alone. Please help to bend our sinful wills to that of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.